Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes of your daily commute? Or how transportation impacts the community you call home? Maybe you want to explore outside your community and don't know where to start. Well, you're in luck because this is where you hop on. I'm Brittany Hoffman. And I'm Madeline Phipps. We work in communications for Valley Metro, and together we'll discover all the ways that public transit enhances lives across the cities we serve. And we might even make some new friends along the way. Welcome to Storylines. Peter, it's November. We're finally getting to be in the actual fall for Arizona because we know summer lasts about six months here. And it's hot. I'd say it lasts a little longer than six months, if we're being honest with ourselves. But I did finally break the jacket out for the first time. I think it dipped below 80 and I was a little chilly, so I pulled the jacket out. But typically it's hot and getting hotter. And we at Valley Metro have to figure out how to deal with climate change. Every year we've seen it tick higher and higher and higher. And how does our fleet and our buses and our light rail, how do all of our vehicles work in the heat? Yeah, operating in the heat is definitely a big issue. We currently have ongoing efforts to optimize our system from that standpoint. If you've ever rode the light rail in the summertime, it's nice and cool inside the light rail. But that comes at a cost. So what are we doing to maintain nice, cool air and air conditioning? How are we paying for that? I'm not just talking about money. I mean, how are we paying for that on a global scale in terms of climate change? That's why we're here today, Peter. We're talking electric buses and all things that Valley Metro is doing to try and help combat climate change. It's not one thing that's going to work or two things that's going to work. It's going to be a combination of things. In terms of climate change, it seems like electric is the way to go. Tesla's getting really popular. Electric vehicles are really popular. So why don't we have electric buses? Well, Peter, we have tried a couple electric buses here, but it's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You go try different things. You try different porges. One's too big. One's too small. And so far, we haven't found that one yet. But we're still trying. Electric has come so far in just the past couple of years. There's new technology. There's new things coming out all the time. And hopefully, in the near future, we'll find that one that just fits. And hopefully, we don't have to break into someone's house and do that, right? No, a bus wouldn't fit inside someone's house, Peter. Right, but that's how Goldilocks did it. She broke into people's houses, and then she would just eat their stuff and sleep in their beds and then take their things without asking. And then she left, and the moral of the story is you can get away with it. That's not what we're trying to portray, right? No, we are trying to say that electric buses are coming to the valley and we'll test them out. And then another one comes, we'll test that one out. And another one comes, and then maybe that's it. As we're on our journey to find just the right electric bus to fit our Valley Metro fleet, we got to talk to someone who knows a little more about electric buses than you and I. Yeah, and we both know them. My name is Scott Wisner. I'm the Director of Vehicle Electrification Solutions for Verigy. It's an energy service company, also referred to as an ESCO in the industry, that has 550 employees located over about 17 states across the country, and we have a very large presence here in the Southwest. And really what we specialize in is energy optimization projects for commercial clients, industrial, educational, and municipal customers like Valley Metro. So can you expand more on your role? What do you exactly do? So my major role is to develop, the first 90 days of the job, my sole role was to develop EV solutions for the various markets that we're entering. There are several different types of fleet markets out there, you know, transit being one of them. The K through 12 school bus market is like five times larger than transit. So that's, that's one of our largest customer bases. So that's another area we've been really focusing on as well as higher education and then municipal fleets. And so every one of those markets 
has a unique types of vehicles with different duty cycles. So there's not really a one size fits all solution. So in the last 90 days or so, I've been developing these customizable electric vehicle infrastructure solutions for our sales teams so that we can now introduce to our customers and help them with their EV transitional fleet needs. So that's my major part of my job. But also part of my job is to respond to RFPs, to develop transitional plans for our customers. And Scott, just for clarity purposes, I mean, I obviously know what an RFP, but for Brittany, could you explain what an RFP is? Well, a request for proposal is one of the procurement methods out there that transit uses a lot of. So, uh, you know, when we're applying or we're, we're trying to get jobs from the, the public transit market, we're usually responding to a request for a proposal and, and then putting a proposal together that meets the specifications outlined in the RFP scope of work. It's a lengthy process, but a necessary one to make sure that the customer is picking the, the best possible solution for the best price. What's the main difference between electric and, say, diesel or, or like CNG buses? Well, there's quite a few differences. The interior and the exterior of the bus are always the same. There's really no, no difference there. But it's really what's under the hood that provides the stark differences. So for starters, the battery electric bus, they use a high-efficient uh, electric drive motors to propel the bus forward, you know, whereas a typical diesel or CNG is using a typical type of engine with pistons and crankshafts and transmissions and things like that to move it. So that's really the big difference. Also, diesel buses run on diesel fuel and CNG fuel, and whereas battery electric buses strictly run on energy that's stored in the energy storage system for battery packs that are embedded throughout the vehicle. So those are the two major differences. On the engine side of things, you know, with it being an electric motor, there's no really anything to work on or anything to have to maintain. Yes, electric drive motors can go bad, but fixing those is a lot different than fixing a traditional motor. There's no spark plugs, there's no engine blocks or pistons or rings or timing belts or transmissions or large capacity radiators or anything like that to fix or maintain. So that's where the advantage of battery electric buses comes in, where they're a little easier to maintain. There's not as many components and moving parts and so much like on our trains where our uh, you know, Valley Metro's light rail trains utilize uh, electric drive motors, same thing on buses. The other big thing is, is that you know, fuel is a lot more expensive to produce than energy is. So overall, battery electric buses are cheaper to operate, cheaper to fuel than gasoline buses. So those are the primary differences. What are the benefits of electric buses and bringing them to the Valley? And how could they improve our quality of life? Well, I think the, the number one benefit is environmentally. One battery electric bus can save 291 metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions in one single year. So if you were to transition to 100 buses in Valley Metro over the next 10 years, that equates to 29,000 metric tons of pollution that would be saved from that fleet alone. Public transit vehicles spend a significant amount of time idling, which when they're idling, they're burning fuel, and that fuel is being emitted into the environment, and then they're driven, obviously, all the rest of the time. So, whereas a battery electric bus, when it's idling, it's not doing anything. The only thing that's running is the air conditioning system and a few of the other components that have to run during that time. So, it's not spewing out any type of pollutants at that single time. So, that's the major push behind going with EV buses is to help, you know, environmentally save our planet. But some of the other benefits I mentioned earlier was the, the overall cost to, to fuel and maintain. There's about a 60% cost difference 
and now, especially since, you know, battery electric buses have been around four or five or more years, or some going on 10 years, there's real data to support that. So, for example, to maintain a diesel bus may cost you somewhere between 60 and 80 cents per mile, whereas a battery electric bus would cost you maybe 20 cents per mile to maintain. Another big benefit that people don't realize is how much quieter they are inside and outside of that vehicle which makes it a lot more enjoyable experience for the customer inside and the pedestrians on the street. I actually rode in a battery electric school bus last week, and I was amazed at how quiet that vehicle was. You always think of school buses as these big, yellow, noisy diesel, and most of them are diesel, so they're very noisy. But this bus was quiet as all get out, and I could not believe how quiet, how much torque and horsepower that bus had. So the technology has come a significant way over the last five years or so. And so they're really efficient, they're quiet. And I think they're now the, the time has come for battery electric buses to start entering a larger part of the market. So those are some of the big differences and some of the benefits, I think, that most people are focusing when they're talking about converting to battery electric buses versus diesel or CNG. You talked about costs a little bit, some of the, the cost offsets, but I think that's one of the main things that goes into some of the challenges that you face for electric vehicle conversion. Yeah, absolutely. The number one barrier to transitioning to battery electric buses is the concern of cost. Typically, a battery electric transit bus costs you somewhere in the neighborhood of 900000 plus per bus, whereas a CNG bus might cost you $560,000. So big cost difference to enter the battery electric bus market to begin with. Then there's the concern about infrastructure costs and infrastructure needs. Uh, infrastructure typically has to be bolstered to be able to charge those vehicles, especially when you get into larger fleets of those. So that is the biggest concern typically is, is cost. If there wasn't a cost barrier, then I think there'd be a lot more movement towards that. The federal government starting to step up big time and start offering a lot more in terms of federal assistance to help offset that cost, both on the transit market and the school bus market. Another thing that's really, you know, driving EV adoption is many states have climate action plans in place. Those states that have climate action plans or mandates in place are offering state rebates and grant programs as well. So we don't have anything like that in Arizona right now. Hopefully that'll change in the future. But there is a need for federal assistance or state assistance uh, right now because of the price difference. And hopefully as the number of vehicles and the market for those vehicles increases, the price will come down and, and level off to where it's more in line with the diesel or CNG. And what's the range of the electric bus? Well, that's an interesting question. It depends on the time of the year and the climate that you're operating in. But I would say on a transit side, for example, when we first started testing buses back in 2016, the range was somewhere around 90 miles. We always did all of our EV testing in the summertime because obviously that's our most harsh climate and that's really wanted to make sure that we got a true picture of what its operating abilities were during the hottest part of the summer. And so back in 16, we were able to get about 90 miles before the bus was at about a 20% state of charge. Four years later, when we tested them in the summer of 2020, we were getting upwards of 160 to 180 miles of range. So the range has, has increased significantly. Some battery electric bus companies now are actually making a bus with a 660 kilowatt battery storage system on it, which has a range of 300 miles. So the range has really increased exponentially over the last four or five years. And the talk in the industry is that's going to continue to improve as batteries become more dense, which means they can then take on more storage, 
which means they can then deliver more range. So whereas range used to be a bigger concern, now range is more in the acceptable levels so that you can operate the majority of your routes without having to recharge the vehicle. Another thing that properties are doing to extend the range of battery electric is they're implementing opportunity charging or inline charging where they have charging centers at like a transit center where the bus pulls up and uh, a pantograph comes down and touches the roof rails on top of the bus and energizes the bus for five to 10 minutes and and basically tops off the energy as, as quickly as it can. Those are really high capacity charging systems. They have 450 kilowatts of power coming out of that pantograph charge. And so they can really upload a lot of energy to the bus in a quick amount of time. So if the buses pass through a transit center every hour on the hour, then it's a real simple and efficient way to top off the energy needs of that bus. And then you can keep that bus out there all day. Scott, I'm sure as you know, China's really ahead of the game when it comes to electric buses. And, you know, less than 0.1% of the electric buses produced are actually in the U.S. What's holding us back? not only as a country, but here in the Valley too, like what's preventing us as a whole from, from really accepting electrical buses? That's a great question. For starters, it's not just China, but Europe in general. You know, I was at an industry show last week and the talk was that Europe's probably five to six years ahead of the U.S. in terms of EV deployments or zero emission bus deployments. Not only we're we talking about electric buses, but also hydrogen fuel cell buses, which they also refer to as the other electric bus. So the adoption of EV technology or zero emission buses in Europe and in China and Asia and other locations has been a lot more aggressive than we have seen here in the U.S. But now that's starting to shift a little bit. The investment in those technologies has, has really started to ramp up, which in turn will then spur sales and drive down costs and make it more affordable for transit agencies of all sizes to afford the higher priced battery electric buses and, and the infrastructure needed. So I think those are really the the key factors. The other thing is you've got to have reliable power sources here. That's another thing that the U.S. is really concentrating on is bolstering the energy supplies and making the utilities more robust so that the grid is is much more stable. I think the political will in, in a lot of cities and states is there. It's just a matter of funding. And then the last really thing is availability. Because of COVID and all the challenges it's caused manufacturing companies and chip manufacturing companies, there's a shortage in the supply chain. It's just going to be a matter of can the suppliers deliver on those needs. There will probably be a greater need than there will be inventory to deliver that need. I think one of the things that's discouraging for me is that when you hear electric bus, the first thing you hear is expensive. But I think you kind of highlighted some of the things in this interview the cost offset. Yes, the infrastructure cost up front and the initial cost up front for the vehicle is more expensive. However, you're dealing with one third less of the components for from a diesel bus. It's less maintenance, less time in the shop, less things to maintain, less hazmat. You also have the fuel offset costs. You know, you're, you're talking about charging not only just emissions, but actually how much fuel costs to, you know, to go the same distance for an electric vehicle and how much you're spending a year. So I think getting those points across to the public is important as well. Uh, And that kind of falls, you know, it doesn't necessarily fall on Valley Metro. We could definitely assist with it, though. Yeah, the thing to focus on is really the total cost of ownership. You don't want to just focus on the cost of the bus because you'll lose every time, unfortunately. But total cost of ownership is key. And so the bus is going to be around for 12 years. So what is the cost to purchase it, to fuel it, and to maintain it for 12 years versus a diesel? There's enough data out there now to make a strong case that says, 
Right now, it's an overall savings to go for the electric side versus diesel. When you look at the environmental impact, there's no comparison. I mean, if you think about the amount of time transit transportation idles, you know, cars included, sitting at a light idling, it just adds up a tremendous amount of fuel wasted. And then it's sitting there and in, in, in out of the tailpipe is spewing the, the pollution that's you know, that's killing our environment. So there are a couple factors and a couple key messages that you have to hit on. And I think, like I said, there should be a major shift. I know in the car, in the automobile industry, the cost of EVs has come down considerably. I mean, you remember when they first came out and Teslas were $110,000 and mm-hmm. now you can buy a Tesla for forty grand. The new Ford Lightning pickup truck is $40,000 on the base model. There are stats that say that in the next five years, the cost of an electric automobile is going to be the same or cheaper than a gasoline-powered automobile. So I think that's what has to happen to make that shift more desirable is to see things like cost and reliability and concerns about you know battery fires and all those things. Any new technology is going to have its challenges. We're certainly not in the bleeding edge of this technology. It's been around since 2008 or, or more. So you're on generation five of, of batteries now, not generation one or two. Those are the things that have to change to, to make full adoption you know, more, more critical. And I also think that the shift in climate change, is climate change real? You know, There's a lot of still a lot of doubters out there. And people that never want to give up their high-powered, you know, sports cars with really loud mufflers and things like that. There's always going to be the detractors and and people that don't believe in it. But overall, it's the right thing to do. It's the wave of the future. America's just a little behind. We're a little more stubborn, <laughs> but we need to get on board. And I think we're starting to see that all over the place now. Scott, you came from Valley Metro. You were on the bus side for so long. And learning about all this new technology, you tried and started to look at different ways to integrate electric buses into our fleet here at Valley Metro. So what were some of those steps that you took and where did you kind of leave off? Yeah, sure. Uh, Great question. Like I said earlier, we started right in 2016, testing some of the battery electric uh, buses that were available at that time. But the big problem back then was range wasn't where it needed to be and prices were triple what they are now. <laughs> so to buy an electric bus back in those days would have been you know, $1.5 million per bus. And so with funding being as tight as it was, the concern about our temperatures here, we weren't able to take forward a, a, a plan to, to start transitioning to the technology. It really wasn't where it needed to be. It was more bleeding edge. But over time, as the technology evolved, we kept an eye on it, and then we kept testing them. And then, in 20, like I said in, earlier, in 2020, we started testing three different manufacturing models and uh, really put them through their paces and put them out on the street for you know three to five days in August and in September. And the performance was quite a bit stark difference and, and improved significantly. And also, the price came down. So what we did was back then, we presented a plan to our leadership group before I left, and we got approval to proceed with a battery electric bus pilot. Uh, They called it a pilot, but basically, we were going to try to buy up to eight battery electric buses and put them into service as soon as we could get them in and, and see how they performed in the real world setting. And so the next step after that was to apply for federal low no grants, which we did in February and March of 2021. And unfortunately, um, we were not selected as part of that grant cycle. So that was very disappointing to learn after I just left. We learned that Valley Metro and the city of Phoenix didn't get one of those grants. So 
that was unfortunate. But that was really going to be the funding mechanism we needed to help offset the cost for the bus as well as the infrastructure. And once we can, you know, overcome that funding obstacle, then I think you'll be off and running with electronic fleets. Like a lot of technologies, there's going to be growing pains with that. But I think you're going to have a lot of support from the community. Well, that's encouraging because I know here at Valley Metro, we are actually starting a climate action plan. So we're going to learn more about that with Mackenzie McGuffey, our sustainability coordinator here at Valley Metro. So it's exciting to hear all of the new exciting things on the horizon for electric buses. Yeah, that's great to to see and hear that you're doing a climate action plan. That's awesome. Yeah. And to your point, Scott, that probably was part of what came out of not getting that grant is what's that next step we need to take to prove to them we're in this for the long haul. This isn't just a, oh, we're going to try these things out. You know, we have that next step in place kind of a thing. You know, Bernie, Scott brought up some really good points. I think one of the main things that people associate with electric buses is the cost and how expensive they are. But I think Scott did a great job of showing that that cost is really only associated with upfront costs, with infrastructure and those kinds of things. And in the long run, it actually ends up being cheaper. People need to keep that in mind, that these buses are going to run for years and years and years, and oil's not going to be around forever. You know, the, the earth is heating up and we're running out of those kind of fossil fuels. And aside from that, you pay upfront for the things that are going to be working for you in the future. And I think... If we keep that in mind, it helps take a little bit of that sting away. Do you agree? Oh, I 100% agree. That's how I buy all my shoes, Peter. It's an upfront cost, but I think about price for wear. So that's how we have to think about our buses, is pay the upfront cost for the electric buses, but price per ride, it will definitely break down, especially when we get all of our riders back. Like I said, Peter, it's so exciting how far the technology has come with electric buses just in the past couple of years. So I think for Valley Metro, there's a good chance we're going to find that right one, like Cinderella's story, where she finds the shoe that fits perfect. Are you reading a lot of fairy tales lately? Because you keep coming up with all these fairy tales. You're talking about Goldilocks. You're talking about Cinderella. I feel like you're just kind of in this groove right now. But I do agree with you. I think we are going to find that right one that right prince. We've kissed a lot of frogs and now we're just there. You're right, Peter. But don't forget, this podcast is called Storylines. So we're always trying to keep the story on top of mind. So after the break, we're going to find out how Valley Metro and their story is evolving to help combat climate change. Hop on board. The Polar Express is back in Mesa this year. Come to this free event at Mesa Drive and Main Street on December 10th, 11th, 17th, and 18th from 6 to 10 p.m. It's family fun for everyone. Attention riders, Valley Metro is going digital and saving some trees. We printed our final transit book in October. Get your schedule the way you want it. Learn convenient and easy ways to access transit schedules at valleymetro.org. Keep those earbuds in. After this episode of Storylines, we keep the energy up with our new music playlist on Spotify. You'll want to check it out. It's electric. It's always great to hear from Scott. And let's be honest, that guy's got a great voice for radio. Perfect voice for radio. He did give us a pretty good background on electric buses in general, but it would be nice to have a little bit more information on what's going on here at Valley Metro specifically, right? Right. And when I started here at the agency, we didn't really have sustainability and a path forward as to how our agency was really going to deal with climate change. And that's a big deal here in the Valley. So since then, 
we've incorporated a sustainability coordinator. She's going to give us some insight into what Valley Metro is doing right now to combat climate change, but also what we have planned for the future so we can be sustainable for decades to come. My name is Mackenzie McGuffey. I'm the sustainability coordinator for Valley Metro, and I've been with the agency for three years. How did your position come about? I was an intern. And I mean, long story short, I just pushed really hard for sustainability and made a plan. And fortunately, there were enough people in the agency that saw value in that and realized we should probably have a full-time person doing this, not just an intern. And then I got to become that full-time person, which is pretty cool. So prior to 2018, Valley Metro didn't really have a climate action plan or any sustainability plans on the horizon, right? No. So we've been a part of a transportation kind of transit um, sustainability commitment for about 10 years now. We've been just kind of loosely involved in it, but we decided around 2018, 2019, we wanted to really ramp that up. Perfect. I just wanted people to have context that like, hey, Valley Metro was just like coasting along before and now we're making money moves. It was a priority, but it wasn't at the forefront. And then, yeah, we've really taken it to being more of an agency priority. One, because it's important. Two, because it really does pertain to our mission of connecting communities and enhancing lives. We kind of have to be addressing the climate and um, extreme heat and all of the things that come along with it to be providing good transit. And then lastly, huge member city priority and member agency priority. So, of course, it's going to be a priority to us as well. So Mackenzie, what do you say is your main role here at the agency with this newfound position? So my main role is really everything sustainability related, but that's pretty broad. So right now, um, my main priority is creating Valley Metro's first climate action plan and looking at our sustainability strategy in the long term. Other things that I do is um, a lot of battery electric bus stuff, as you heard earlier in this podcast, assist with different planning activities where applicable, other environmental things. But really, the core of what I do is sustainability strategy and programs for the agency. That's all good. Let's get to the real question. Why don't we have electric buses? We've been talking about electric buses for a while now. We had another interview with Scott Wisner. We were talking about electric buses. And the question that comes up is, why doesn't Valley Metro have electric buses? So for a long time, electric buses, they really weren't a good option for us because the early iterations of electric buses had a pretty limited range and were a really big city with really spread out routes and a spread out system. So that range just really wasn't conducive to the service that we were providing. However, that completely changed within the past few years. Um, the technology has advanced a lot, and now they are a good option for our region. But the reason we don't have them now is just because of funding. We're in the process of trying to secure funding to get this project off the ground. It's an expensive thing to start up. It's not like just procuring a regular bus. There's a lot of other things that go into it that make it more expensive. So we don't have them yet, but we're aiming to have them in the future, hopefully sometime within the next few years. But that's really just going to depend on once we're able to fund this project. Right. And you talked about some of those expenses. I, I think what you're kind of talking about is like infrastructure, right? Some of the inf infrastructure investment and some of the technology advances that you mentioned, I think, pertain to like air conditioning, right? Because we in the Valley, obviously, it's very hot. Yeah. So um, some of the expenses, it is charging infrastructure that adds on an additional cost. And it's not like you can just, you know, plug it into a wall outlet. You have to be really upgrading the infrastructure and utilities at your facility to get these chargers in place. So that's a cost. 
the bus itself is more expensive than your traditional diesel or natural gas bus. Then on top of it, you also have to be training your staff to be doing maintenance on these buses. You need to train the drivers how to drive them because you drive them a little bit differently than you would a regular bus. So a lot of these little things just add up to make a more expensive project. We do project that there will be um, savings over the lifetime of the vehicle, but it's really just getting it off the ground and getting that initial funding um, that we need and that we're working towards right now. So cost up front, but savings in the long run. That's the hope. That's um, what we've looked into and what we believe. But of course, we need to get the buses here and we need to start operating them so that we can know that for certain. So electric buses are exciting. But we're taking other steps right now, right, to be more sustainable? Yes. So electric buses is a big portion of sustainability kind of in the transportation realm. But there's a lot of other stuff that we're doing outside of that. A lot of times when people think sustainability, the first thing they'll say is, oh, recycling. And that's barely like skimming the edge of what you can be doing. So before we kind of had a more um, formal sustainability commitment and before we had a full-time position, we would do kind of one-off projects here and there. Some examples of that being like solar at all of our maintenance facilities. We have a primarily natural gas bus fleet. What fueling with natural gas in comparison to like diesel, the difference there is that it's helping a little bit with reducing your greenhouse gas emissions, but it's helping a lot with reducing the air pollutants that cause respiratory issues. So we've been really great at adopting natural gas into our fleet. We have water recycling at all of our vehicle washes. And to put in perspective, we wash our vehicles a lot. So recycling that water is pretty important. We've converted some of our facilities to have LED lighting um, and upgrade that. And then lastly, of course, we do have recycling. Um, We have expanded recycling to a couple of our light rail stations and are hoping to do more in the future. So we've done a lot of kind of one-off things in the past. So looking to the future, we're looking to adopt a more formal strategy for this. So we are creating our very first climate action plan. um, And this plan really focuses on two main things. So first, we're looking at the emissions that we produce as an agency, um, really specifically our carbon emissions, our global warming emissions, whatever you want to call it, the emissions that everybody creates that influences climate change, and that's causing climate change. The second portion of this plan is how we're adapting to a changing climate. So we know that it's getting warmer. It's already really hot here. Um, Getting even more hot is an ideal for anybody. So we're looking at ways that we should be addressing that. This plan looking at reducing our emissions and adapting to changing climate and extreme heat being the big one. So based off these two prongs, we can say that electric vehicles are really moving towards that first prong. So what are we doing to, right now, adapt to this climate change? Yeah, so electric vehicles are definitely addressing our emissions. Um, Some stuff that we are doing now, we're developing these strategies to really start implementing next year. So we're in the planning phases of what we should be doing right now. But some of the strategies that we're looking at would be increasing energy efficiency in our operations, adopting new vehicles into our fleet. So not just with electric buses, we can be looking at our non-revenue fleet. So the vehicles that you see drive the alignment all day. We can look at our paratransit. We can look at our van pool. Other things we're looking into include how we can add more shade along our light rail system and our transit system so that people are more comfortable while they're waiting and more protected from extreme heat in the future. 
We're also looking at cool pavements and what that would look like to put that at some of our park and rides. So really, we're in the planning phases of this right now and figuring out what our strategy should be and what we're going to do moving forward. So stay tuned for what ends up being put in our climate action plan and voted on to be adopted as an agency. We'll definitely have more to come on that and some more concrete actions that we'll be taking by mid-next year. What do you think transit's role is in responding to climate change? So one of my favorite things to talk about with transit and like why as a sustainability person, I absolutely love working in transit and I'm always going to be a lifelong supporter of transit, no matter if I'm working in this sector or not, is because what transit does is we are providing a climate solution just with the services that we already provide. So one of the things with transit um, that's kind of difficult to I guess, balance from a climate perspective is when we're thinking about the transportation sector as a whole, sometimes the emissions from transit have to become bigger in order for the entire sector to become smaller. Because what we're doing with transit is we're providing a lot of different ways for people to get around in shared ways. So when we're sharing the ride, we're able to reduce the emissions from the entire transportation sector. When you say transportation sector, what is that though? So to reduce emissions from the entire transportation sector, and what I mean by transportation sector is just how people are getting around every day. So how people are getting to their jobs, how people are getting to go visit their mom or wherever they're going for that day. We need to think about how we're getting there and how that impacts the entire transportation system. So in some ways, the emissions for transit, so light rail, bus, all of our modes, sometimes those emissions have to become bigger so that the entire transportation sector emissions can become smaller. Because what happens is when we are sharing the ride, when we're carpooling, getting on the bus, getting on light rail, traveling together, we're able to make the whole system more efficient. So we're able to reduce the amount of cars that are on the road and specifically cars that are just driving around one person and really just make the whole system more efficient. So sometimes, yeah, the emissions for transit have to get a little bit bigger so that um, the entire transportation sector can get smaller, because when the emissions are getting bigger, it's meaning that we're providing more options and we're providing more modes, we're providing more frequency, we're providing a more robust transportation system. Wow, Valley Metro has a lot coming up that we are going to do to help combat climate change. Yeah, Mackenzie seems pretty ambitious. I'm excited. I've seen her come up as an intern into her new role, and she's doing a great job, and I think she's going to take us into the future. You know, we've always been a pretty sustainable agency, and I think we're going to continue to do that, but it seems like Mackenzie's got some good goals and some good foresight as how we could do even better, so I'm excited to see what she does. Yeah, and the things we've already started, like the recycling program and switching from, you know, fossil fuel gases to CNG to Hopefully electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie, woogie. Yeah, and aside from that, I'll say Mackenzie's pretty sustainable all around. You know, a little inside baseball here. She even got rid of all our paper plates and paper cups here on the uh, 11th floor. We were eating on plates from home for a while uh, when we were still coming back to the office, and I think people got used to it. But, you know, she tries to make a small imprint on everything she does around here, and I think, you know, people really appreciate it. It's true. Every little bit matters, Peter. And speaking of every little bit, we want to hear from you, the audience. What do you want to know about Valley Metro and the community? Because that's what Storylines is about. The community, the writers, and the people we serve. 
So if you have ideas or things you want to know about Valley Metro, email us at podcast at valleymetro.org. For Valley Metro, I'm Peter Valenzuela. I'm Brittany Hoffman. Thanks for riding with us. We'll meet you at the next stop.